0: If you got your Bible, you can open to the book of Ephesians. Today we're moving forward just a little bit in the book. We'll be in Ephesians chapter 4. But as many of you know, we've been in a series uh, called Together. Uh, we, we kicked this off a couple of weeks ago with Back to Church Sunday. Uh, and we've been looking at the importance of us being together. The biblical mandate for us to have godly relationships as a church with one another. Um, and so, since we made it to the third Sunday in the series, I think it's time for us to have a little pop quiz. So, here's our pop quiz uh, What is the largest organism in the world? Any guesses, any thoughts? Largest organism, largest living organism in the world? Bryce. Say, say what? A blue whale. All right, a blue whale is the largest animal in the world. Uh, so you're, you're on the right track. It is not the largest organism. Any other guesses? Bill? An Aspen, Glade. An Aspen Glade. This guy's got the right answer, which I didn't think we'd get to so quickly. I thought somebody was going to say General Sherman. <laughs> General Sherman is uh, a sequoia tree in Sequoia National Park, actually, uh, which is... I was taught, was the largest living organism. But scientists have redefined their definition, and there's actually some debate uh, on this. But many believe the largest living organism is a glade of aspens. In fact, we got a picture here. Go ahead and throw that up. That looks like a whole bunch of different trees. Uh, it's known as Pando. Pando is a, a glade of aspen trees in the state of Utah, uh, just off of a lake. And what scientists have discovered is the root system of Pando is indeterminable. In other words, once you go below the surface, you can't identify this root belongs to this tree, or this belongs to this tree, or this belongs to this tree. They are completely interwoven and completely connected, so much so that many scientists argue this is actually one organism. It's called Pando, P-A-N-D-O. It's just off of Fish Lake uh, in Utah, and it covers about 100 acres. Can you imagine an organism that covers 100 acres? Acres here at City Church, God's blessed us with six acres, which is incredible. I'm so grateful for it. Uh, But a hundred acres is a very large area of land for one living organism to occupy. Uh, Today, the survival of Pando is actually threatened. Scientists are trying to step in to make sure that they can save this very unique and very special glade of trees. Um, And I show it to you today as a picture of how I believe we as believers are connected as one. There's many of us. You can identify an individual tree or an individual person, but our survival is interconnected. Right? Our, our ability to thrive is interconnected. Our ability to grow and sustain below the surface, we are rooted together. Teresa gave us a great preview of that in her offering talk. Um, if you weren't with us the last couple weeks, we have uh, been exploring the book, of Ephesians as we look at this idea of togetherness. And in the book of Ephesians, um, we discover that the Apostle Paul is writing to a church that's maybe in some ways similar to us. Uh, The church in Ephesus was surrounded by other belief systems, surrounded by people who did not know God, surrounded by a culture that did not glorify God. And so Paul's writing to this this group of believers, this patch, this grove of aspens who are growing together, who are thriving together, and he's encouraging them, don't think that you can do this on your own. He spends the first half of his letter uh, explaining the gospel, articulating how magnificent Jesus is and how magnificent what Jesus has done. And then he comes at the beginning of chapter 4 to a transition. Uh, And he comes to that transition with a word in most translations, therefore. Uh, And therefore is always a good signal that something is about to flip. That basically when we see therefore, usually the statement before therefore is informational. I need you to know this. But the statement after the therefore is application. Man, because of this, here's what we need to do, and that's exactly what Paul does in Ephesians. He spends three chapters telling us what we need to know about Christ, and then three chapters telling us what we need to do with Christ, with what Jesus has done for us. So we're going to pick this up in Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 1. Paul says, as a prisoner for the Lord then, the NIV uses then, the other translations use therefore. He says, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. That's a big statement, isn't it? When you realize what the calling we have received is, when you realize how significant what God has for us is, that's a, that's a big statement. Paul says, I urge you to live a life worthy of of the calling you have received. He says, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. We see that phrase, one another, all throughout the New Testament, not just in the Apostle Paul's writings, but in other writings as well. He says, make every effort, everybody say "every every effort. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. Pretty big statement to say make every effort, right? The, there's many things that the Bible encourages us to do and challenges us to do. And, and Paul's saying, look, this one needs to be at the top of the priority list, right? That this one is, is so significant and so important that we would keep the unity of God's Holy Spirit through the bond of peace. Week one in our series, uh, we discovered how together we have peace, Right that together we have peace. Last week we saw that together we experience love that God's love is actually shared with us in such a way that we we experience it on a new level when we are together. Because of Jesus we have love. And we have peace. Today we follow Ephesus, and, or the Ephesians, and we turn our attention to how we let these things shape the way we live and the way that we treat others. That when we are living lives worthy of the calling we received, we become stronger together. Today's message is that we are stronger together. We grow stronger together in all kinds of ways. In fact, in Ephesians chapter 4, a little later on in his letter, in verse 15 in the New Living, Paul says this. He says, Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who's the head of the body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each part does its own special work. It helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Have you ever... Seen And the answer for most of us should absolutely be yes. Have you ever seen the Mississippi River, right? Like you've gone down by the river. Um, I remember the first time I ever saw the Mississippi River. It was a significant event for me because I didn't grow up here. Uh, I grew up on the other side of the country. I grew up in Seattle, Washington. And just a couple weeks before I turned 15, my family moved from Seattle to small town southwest North Carolina. So we did a massive road trip from one corner of the country to the other, and that road trip actually happened to come through Memphis. And I remember as we drove through Memphis, or drove into Memphis actually, as we drove across from Arkansas over the Mississippi River, this was such a huge deal for me because I've heard about this river my whole life, right? And it's like, oh my gosh, it's the Mississippi River, and... It's still the Mississippi River, and it's still, right? Like, this just takes forever to get across that bridge. And I remember being so impressed by the pyramid. They had just built it, and man, that's the coolest thing ever. They're going to play basketball in there for, until we die, right? And it lasted like four years. Uh d- didn't work very well, but in 1995, it seemed like a great thing, right? It seemed like a very incredible thing. But the Mississippi River, the largest river in our nation starts with a few drops of water, right? It starts with snow runoff in the state of Minnesota. It snows there a lot. Uh, And when the snow, when it begins to warm up, those snows run off and they form what we call the headwaters of the Mississippi River. And you can do this with any significant or insignificant river in the world. There's always a source. There's always a start. And if you go to the end of the river, if you go to the delta, if you go down to New Orleans, and you see where the Mississippi meets the ocean, it's, it's massive. But if you go to the start, it begins with just a few little drops. And I think the thing that God wants to do in us the thing that God wants to do in Olive Branch, the thing that God wants to do in America looks a whole lot like that Mississippi River. Not that it has to look like the end of the Mississippi today, but that God wants to start something. And it starts with a few drops. It starts with a few people. What happens? Those drops aren't significant in themselves. They simply become significant when they join together. Right? One little drop of water can't move a whole lot. But when all those drops of water come together, they they can fuel a nation through hydroelectricity. Right? They can transport ships of great size. They can move organisms and stuff and, and materials. They can accomplish so much, but they only accomplish when they're together. And I think the natural world was created the way that it was because God wanted to teach us things in the spiritual. I think everything we see out there, everything we see in Pando, right, is something to, to teach us something in the spiritual. When I was a, a little kid, um, I grew up watching a show called The Gospel Bill Show. And I know like five of you know about The Gospel Bill Show, so I'm going to talk to those five for one minute. Um In the Gospel Bill show, one of the things that they always did that I love so much is Gospel Bill, Willie George, who later on in life became my pastor, uh, Willie George would would share with the kids every episode God's animal of the day. And God's animal of the day, he'd pick a, a creature and he'd use something, one of the characteristics of that creature to teach us something, about God and it was always my favorite thing about I was I was a Saturday morning TV kid right and and I came from a strict home so I didn't get to watch Saturday morning TV that everybody else watched we watched Saturday morning TBN so I had Saturday morning Christian kids TV, right? And so there was like, I don't know, six shows that we watched every Saturday morning. In fact, some Saturdays uh, we'd even record them if maybe one of us, it was me and my brother, if one of us didn't get out of bed early enough, we'd videotape it so we could watch it later. Uh, but it was always my favorite thing in that little three-hour block of time. is man, what's God's animal? And I tried to memorize all of God's animals and the attributes of all of God's animals, but I learned that very early on in life, that God's creation is there to teach us about him and to teach us about things in the spiritual realm. And I'm very, very grateful for that. Last year, many of you know, I got to go to the Grand Canyon uh, with my dad, kind of a, a bucket trip, road trip, that my son and my dad, we, we went three generations of Southern men. And if you've never been to the Grand Canyon, you need to go. It's impossible to describe it. It's impossible to do it justice uh, apart from being there. But, but what it is, as you probably know, is this, this, this incredible hole that's been shaped by one river, The Colorado River comes through this rock and it is over time, over many, many gatherings of drops of water, it has completely changed the landscape. And I think God wants us to start changing the landscape. I think God wants us to start making a mark that lasts for generations. And that happens when we join together. You see, I can't make that kind of mark by myself. You can't make that kind of mark by yourself. In fact, I don't even know that the, the... Some of the people in this room could make that mark in and of ourselves. But as we gather with other drops, as we join with second service, as God grows our church and we add a third service and we reach more people, the power and potential increases for the landscape in our community to be changed forever. Amen? But it doesn't just happen because we gather, it happens because we join together and move in a direction along with one another. It's amazing things we can accomplish together. So the first thing I want you to write down is this, is we grow stronger together as we find strength in numbers. We grow stronger together as we find strength in numbers. We can look at the idea of strength in numbers, again, looking back to nature. We're going to talk a lot about nature today. Talk a lot about the creation today, talk a lot about science today, but, but imagine how animals survive in the wild, whether they're from the ocean, or the desert, or the mountains, or, or the plains, wherever their ecosystem happens to be, so they, many of them are vulnerable. And so many animals choose to, to protect that vulnerability by gathering together. That's why we see schools of fish and swarms of bees, right, and, and flocks of geese. And from the smallest animals to the largest animals, all across the spectrum, we see animals joining together. Why? Because they understand their strength in numbers. They are stronger together. We are stronger as we gather, in the words of Julie Andrews in The Sound of Music, let's start at the very beginning because it's a very good place to start, right? From the beginning of time, if we go back to Genesis chapter 1, human beings were created to live in relationship and Community. In fact, this week I was doing premarital counseling with a couple that I have the honor of doing their marriage next month. And as I was talking to them, Genesis chapter 2, 18 came up. What is the purpose of marriage? Why do we do this? And one of their answers was absolutely spot on. And she said, Well, God looked down and he said, It's not good for man to be alone. So I'll make a helper suitable for him, right? That that it's not good. For us to be alone. Now that doesn't mean it's not good to ever be alone. Like right, most of us can attest sometimes it's good to be alone. Yeah. But it's not good to always be alone. It's never good to be completely isolated and on your own. In fact, as I was thinking through like the the greatest experiences of my life, the things like the, the biggest highlights I can remember across any aspect of my life. Any memory that I come to, I always come to something involving other people, right? I think of my road trip with my dad, right? And the significance, how special that was to to be with my son and my father. And for us to experience that together, I think of holding my child for the first time, right? Having a baby, what an incredible experience that I had so little to do with, right? I did very, very little of the work for that, but I'm so grateful for it. Making a baby, right? Great experience. Some of you didn't expect that today. But it's the reality, right? Like, how many of you know you can't make a baby on your own, right? I'm get- the, the greatest all about togetherness, Teresa says. Hey. The, the greatest experiences in life, and I'm having some fun with this, of course, But the greatest experiences in life always revolve back to some connection, to some shared moment. And the only great experiences I can even think of in my life that don't involve another person were moments where it was just me and God. And so it still involved relationships. Right, I can think of moments where it was just me and God in the car, moments where it was just me and God out in the, in the woods or whatever it may be, and God did something in me, but I can't think of any moment in my entire life where it was just me by myself that I look back on and say, man, that was great. doesn't mean that there's not importance in that. doesn't mean it's not good for us to, to get on our own from time to time and be able to recharge if you're an introvert, right, and get that, that ability, but, but I believe God's designed us to to share experiences, to share something so much so that when he looked down at Adam, the only time in the creation story, God says, it's not good. Everything God creates, God says, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good. There's Adam by himself. This is not Yet when he creates Adam and Eve, when, when humanity is now created in relationship and has partnership and can join together, now he looks down and he says, it is very good. Right? It's not good for us to be alone, but it's very good for us to be together, and those are verses specific to marriage, but I believe there's a a principle there that God is teaching us that extends far beyond simply the marriage covenant. In the Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes, it gives a few great examples of how we are so much stronger together. Chapter 4, verse 9 through 12 says, two are better than one. Can everybody say amen to that? Who are better than one because they get a good return for their labor. So there's economic benefit when we join together. Teresa, talking today about our giving, says, look, we can accomplish more when we give together than any of us could accomplish on our own, right? There's economic benefit to being together. He says, if either of them falls down, one can help the other up. So not only is there economic benefit, there's, there's physical benefit, right? Like if we're getting older, we're like, help, I've fallen, I can't get up, or, you know, that's a, a physical reality that I've, I can't do it. When we're younger, it may not be that we can't, but man, it's just a lot easier. It means something. It's emotionally meaningful that, man, somebody's helping me up, right? He says, but pity anybody who falls and has no one to help them up. He says, also, if two lie down together... They will keep warm, but how can one keep warm alone? The one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. And then he closes it with this statement. He says, a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. He's made all these statements about the impact of two and how two is greater than one, but he closes it by referring to three. And Bible scholars believe, of course, that, that this is him speaking of bringing God into our relationships. Right, That it's not just about us, but then when we allow two of us to come together and we bring him into that thing. We bring him into our marriage. We bring him into our house. We bring him into our friendships. When we allow it to actually revolve around him, that thing's not going to be broken. Many of us have experienced the pain of some broken relationships. The harm, man, when, when a relationship is severed. And God's goal for us, his purpose for us is to bind us together with him at the center, so that would not be quickly broken. Paul explained to the church in Ephesus that this process of finding strength together started with Jesus, and now it comes to us. Chapter 4, verse 11 through 13, he says, So Christ himself gave what we call the five-fold ministry, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers. He gave all of these people... To the church, he says, to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the growth of the knowledge of the Son and we become mature. Everybody say mature. mature. What's God's goal for us? That we would mature, right? The, the, the amazing thing about what God's done for us is he could, if he wanted, when we get saved, he could immediately make us completely like Jesus, couldn't he? Man, the moment that I give my life to Christ, if God chose, he could have just taken away all my sin, all my weakness, all my lack of knowledge. He could have just fixed it all in that moment and said, okay, now you're conformed to the image of my son. But he didn't choose to do it that way. He had wanted us to go on a journey, to go through a process of maturity. And maturity takes some time, right? Maturity is not, uh, it's not always linear, If you've watched a kid grow up, it's not like one day they're always a little bit stronger than they were the day before. Or one day they're always a little more mature, a little more respectful, or a little more obedient. Right? In fact, sometimes it seems like it's going the opposite direction. And the reality is for us sometimes we take some missteps. And we, we make two steps forward, but we take one step back. Right? But God's called us to a process of maturity. To engage the process, and he says we're called to do it together so that we would, we would be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, you could say mature together, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. I don't know about you, but I have a whole lot of days where I feel pretty immature in my faith whole lot of days where I feel like I've got more shortcoming than I should, where I haven't gotten where I need to be, but I'm so grateful that God is faithful and God is patient, and he's allowing me to go through this process of maturity. Aristotle puts it this way. He says, the more that you know, the more you know that you don't know, right? Right? The more you know, the more you know you don't know. The, the more knowledge you get, the closer to Jesus we get, the more we realize how far from Jesus we are. Does that make sense? Like the, the more we realize, the more we see in him, the more I realize I don't see that in me. And so sometimes it feels like I'm moving in the wrong direction, but what's really happening is I'm getting closer, and so I'm recognizing more shortcomings. I'm seeing more weaknesses, things that I didn't even realize were weaknesses a few years ago now have come up that, hey, I need to work on this, and I need to deal with this. Why? Because I've just gotten a little bit closer to the face of Christ. And as we draw nearer to him, We realize more and more the things that we need to work on. So if we're not careful, it can be discouraging. But the reality is we're moving closer all the time. Ephesians 4, we we skipped past a few verses that I think are important for us to cover. So we'll go back, if you're there in your Bible, back to verse 4. Paul says, there is one body and one spirit. Just as you were called to one hope... When you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. What what do you think is the key word in that verse? All could definitely be together. There's another word that pops up a lot in there. What's the other one? One. Right? He says there's one body, one Lord, one baptism, one faith, one Father who is over all. There's one. Uh, And so the second point today is that we grow stronger as we realize... We are one. See, we already are one. God has already joined us together. If you're a Christian, you are in unity with other believers in this room right now, whether you realize it or not, whether it feels that way or not. But as we begin to line up our emotions and our thoughts and our physical reality with the spiritual reality he's already created, what happens is we get stronger and stronger in the process. Uh, If you are a Sesame Street fan, you could say that this portion of our message is brought to you by the number one, right? Uh, It's sponsored by the number one because unity is all about oneness. Paul doesn't leave much room for anything else when he says we're one body, we're one spirit. We're called to one hope, to one Lord, to one faith, to one baptism, and that we have one God and Father of all. One, 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 one. I believe there's seven ones in this verse. Seven, the number of completion, the number of perfection. You're called to one. We're not just two. We're not just a few. We're not instructed to act like one or to be kind of sort of one or to try and be one. We are called to simply be one. We're called to oneness and it brings us great strength when we walk in that the the body is the perfect metaphor for this idea our human bodies are amazingly complex how many people have taken like a college level anatomy class uh, you are my heroes. Uh, it is crazy how in depth, if you've gone through nursing school or some other science major, I have not. Let me just make that clear. Uh, but I know enough to know I don't want to know, if that makes sense, right? Uh, it, it is it's amazingly complicated how much goes on simply inside our bodies. Um, and, and each part of the body needs the other parts. In fact, each part of the body impacts the other parts. I learned about this when I tore my ACL. The ACL is a a ligament on the side of your knee that that brings stability and strength. And so I tore my ACL in in my left knee. I felt it pop. I knew it was out. Uh, And as it tore, what I didn't realize was how it was going to impact so many other parts of my body. Uh, And so we didn't I didn't get surgery right away. I think I didn't get surgery for like four to six weeks until after Uh, the tear. And so I was wearing a brace. In fact, we did Camp 662 like a week after that as I'm hobbling around with a torn ACL around this whole camp and uh, didn't get to do some of the stuff that I wanted to do. But I didn't realize how easy it was then to like mess up my hip on the opposite side. Spoiler alert, I'm old. Uh, right? Like, you're gonna find that out as we talk about this if you don't already know. Uh, but I've never had hip pain before in my life, right? Like, didn't even really realize I had hips. Like, I'm not a good dancer. Like, it's not something that's really a strength of mine. Uh, so, so I didn't even know they were there until all of a sudden my opposite hip starts hurting. It's like, what in the world? But when one thing is, is, is weakened, when one thing in the body is out of whack, if we don't get that fixed quickly, everything else begins to be affected. Again, I believe God created everything in the natural world to point to something in the spiritual world. This is not us trying to just find a way to illustrate this in the natural. This is why God did it this way, to teach us what is going on in the spirit. The the body is used frequently in scripture as a metaphor for this thing right here, the church. That we are a body. In fact, almost the entirety of 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is an extended metaphor about the body and how the body is impacted. This same author, the Apostle Paul in the book of Romans chapter 12 puts it this way. He says, so in Christ, we though we are many, we form one body and each member belongs to all the others. We're not careful. Sometimes our independent spirit gets the best of us. We don't want to belong to others. We want to belong to ourselves, right? Like, I I don't want to have an obligation to you. I don't want to have to a responsibility to you. I've got enough responsibility in my own house. I've got enough responsibility in my own self. But that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches we're responsible to each other. We're committed to each other. We're connected to each other. Going back to Pando, this this grove of aspen trees they may look like individual trees on the surface and they may think they're doing it on their own trees don't actually think okay that's extending the metaphor maybe a little farther than it needs to go but but then they may have this idea that they're existing on their own but their existence is completely interwoven and completely interconnected and i believe ours is as well i think that's why over and over again the bible teaches us that we are a body. The reality is, if my eye were to get cut out, God forbid, who would lose? I'd lose, and the eye would lose. Right? It's not, sometimes we think, man, if, if, I were to, if I'm not in church, I'm the one who's hurting. You know what? If it's not just you. If you don't show up to church, it's not just you who gets impacted by that. It's the body. Right, It's not just the eye that carries the impact when it gets severed from the body. Yes, the eye suffers, but the body suffers as well. Why? Because we're all connected. And so thinking that that if I get isolated, if I do this thing on my own, that, well, hey, I'm the person who's going to pay the price for it, so I'm just going to suck it up and I'll do it, is lacking understanding of how significant you really are. It's an underestimation of your value and your importance. According to the word of God, God has placed great value in you. And it's value that the church needs, not just city church, not just the local church, but the universal church needs the giftings, the strengths, the talents, the experience, the passion, the weakness. The 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 mistakes like we need all of that it forms together to make us who we are called to be the same is true not just of the eye but of the heart or the ear or the brain or any part that we can identify right the body needs them all Paul understood it back to Ephesians four fifteen and sixteen he says instead speaking the truth in love we will grow everybody say we will grow. What a statement. We will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. It's a lot of body talk in scripture, right? But it's there for a reason. I get it. For some people, the thought of being one body might seem just a little too medical or a little too anatomical or maybe just a little strange and a little creepy like i'm not an eyeball and i'm not getting cut off why are we talking about this but the reality is the bible uses a lot of other metaphors to teach us that that we are one so if you don't like the body metaphor how about this jesus says he's the vine and we are the branches we're all connected connected to him but then connected to one another. Ephesians, Corinthians, and Revelation all refer to the church as the bride of Christ. We together are are united together with each other and then united with Jesus. Uh, And there's numerous other references to how believers are one in God's household, one in God's family, including even in Galatians chapter six, which we just finished up in our previous series. In all these descriptions, we are as the church are told to be one. Whatever the metaphor is, whatever the the, the example is, we are being called to oneness. Together we can become a place of refuge. Together we can become a place where people are, are, are strengthened. Together we can become a place where we can be honest about our weaknesses and honest about our failures. Honest about the ways that we don't measure up yet. Together we can become a place of great service and kingdom work and impact for eternity. But that's all in our togetherness. So write this down. Together as one body, we become stronger. Together as one body, we become stronger. We're called to oneness. I think this is the reason why believers can't just go listen to a podcast Right? We we can't just go isolate ourselves and think, man, well, I can get enough because I can listen to to this preacher or that preacher. And man, those are a good thing to do. I love listening to podcasts. But it's not simply enough. It's why we can't just go pray in the woods or or go grab city church sounds and think, hey, I got worship covered for the next three months. Right? It's it's a blessing. It's a good thing. We need those things, but they're not enough in and of themselves. We need each other. We need community. We need to be. Together, before we end our time together today, I want to spend a few minutes talking to you about something almost every one of us in this room hates. It's this word change. Right? None of us really like to change. We might like want other people to change. In fact, our prayers might be all about, you know, God changed my spouse. God changed my pastor. God changed my boss. God changed my salary, right? Like, we might want change around us, but we get really resistant when it comes to change in us. And yet change is inevitable. If we're going to fulfill God's purpose for us, we'll never do it if we're resistant to change. Neuroscience used to teach us that thoughts shaped actions, and and they definitely do. The things that we think impact what we do. The Bible says, as a man thinks, so he is. But what neuroscience has recently discovered is it's a two-way path, not a one-way path. That not only do thoughts influence actions, but actions also influence thoughts. That the things that we do as we begin to to develop new habits and do new things, we we build grooves in our brain that'll make it easier for the brain to transmit signals from one place to the other. We actually mark our brains based on our experiences. Your experience, you may have physical scars. Your brain has scars. Scars. And it's not actually unhealthy in, the, in this, that sense, but it's, it's the way God designed our brains to work. And so because of that, now those actions actually dictate thoughts. So it's a two-way street rather than a one-way street. The two impact one another. It's cyclical. So sometimes it may be difficult to change our thoughts. We may have some established thought patterns that are unhealthy. So we may have some established feelings that aren't great. One of the best ways to change those feelings and change those thoughts is to begin doing different actions. As we change our actions, as we change our lifestyles, we change our habits, eventually that's going to correlate to a change in our thought p- patterns. Why are we talking about neuroscience? Because I think it helps to explain how we can do The change, how we can make change happen the way that God wants us to. Much change doesn't happen overnight. It's slow. There's grooves that are starting to build in our brain very slowly, very imperceptibly. But over and over, the frequency of the action digs that groove just a little bit deeper until it becomes very easy for a thought to pass one direction to the other. We like to be in control of every thought and every feeling. God's given us some aspect of control. And some of it comes from the actions we choose to do. If we want to see growth in our body of believers, if we want to, to, to see things start to happen in our city beyond what we've already experienced, I'm grateful for what's already happened. I don't ever want to sound like, man, God hasn't done anything here. Man, this has been a waste of time. Man, we're not accomplishing anything because that's not true. God's done something awesome here. You guys have done amazing things. I'm so grateful, but I'm not satisfied. You understand what I'm saying? Like, I'm so glad. Like, I can look around and see so many stories of God impacting lives in so many ways, and I celebrate each and every one of those, but I'm not ready to say we've done it. I'm not ready to tap out. I believe God's got more he's calling us to, more for us to experience and to walk in his best. We've got to continue to change, to continue to embrace that. Oswald Chambers, the great early 20th century evangelist and author in his famous devotional, My Upmost for His Highest, he says this. He says, as soon as we abandon ourselves to God and do the task he has placed closest to us, he begins to fill our lives with surprises. What a cool statement. Have you found that to be true in your own life? That as soon as you've abandoned yourself, this doesn't mean, man, as soon as you start to do just a little bit of what God has for you, but fully abandoning ourselves to God, fully giving him everything, giving him our best, and begin to do the task that he's placed closest to us, and other things, the thing that's right in front of us. Man, start there, starting at that point, at that place, it begins to fill our life with surprises. You see, God's able to do exceedingly abundantly above anything that we can ask, think, or dream of, right? He goes beyond in so many ways, and he's simply waiting for us to take a step in that right direction, and he's going to surprise us in so many different ways. We're almost there. I've got two more sections of scripture for you. Ephesians 4, 22 through 24. This is our last passage in Ephesians today. It says, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. He goes on to talk in Ephesians 4 about specific unwholesome behaviors that we need to get rid of, things that we need to take out of our life, things like anger and stealing and unwholesome talk and bitterness and rage, etc. Instead, he encourages us as believers to be kind, to be compassionate, to be forgiving and thankful. The thing about growth is it's usually slow and sometimes it's imperceptible. Yesterday, we went and got family pictures taken. We we do this like once a year. Uh, And and it's amazing with a a five-year-old and a three-year-old how much different they look from one year ago. Right? Like how much they've grown. And and you see that uh, from one year to the next very easily. Right? But last week or a couple weeks ago, we had Judah's birthday and both sets of grandparents came into town. Uh, And... Some of them had seen him not really that long ago, just a couple months before. But they were so amazed how much he'd changed in a couple of months. Now, I hadn't seen all of those changes because I see him every day. Right? Because it's in front of my face. And so I don't always notice, man, that, that he's grown in this way or he's, you know, his body's changed in this way or his vocabulary's changed in this way. I might notice it in the moment, but you forget how much change accumulates over a two-month period of time. And yet somebody can come in who hasn't seen him in that period of time, and they're shocked and they rave about it and they're so impressed. I wonder how much change God has done in you, and you don't even know it. I wonder how much you've grown and you're not even aware of it. I wonder how much, if if you were to really be able to compare yourself from five years ago to today, and you may feel like, man, I feel kind of stagnant. I feel kind of plateaued. Man, I want to encourage you today. I bet you've grown more than you realize. I bet you've changed more than you're aware of. And even if you haven't, that doesn't mean you can't, right? God still presented the possibility out there to us to move towards his best, to embrace that change. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 through 11, our last passage for today. Same author, the apostle Paul, says this. He says, but but God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. You know what sufficient means? It means enough. We sang about it at the start of our service, didn't we? Your grace is enough. Your grace is enough. Why do we sing that? Because the Bible teaches that. Because we've seen that demonstrated in our own life, but we also see it modeled for us in Scripture. He says, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. One of the mistakes I think that we can make in church world is we try to hide all our weaknesses. We try to pretend like we have it all together, right? That we've got this perfect little church, this perfect little people, and, and the reality is we don't. Right? We don't. I'm not perfect. These guys up here aren't perfect. These people sitting next to you aren't perfect. The people in the booth aren't perfect. The people watching my kids right now aren't perfect. We've all got weaknesses. But you know what God says? He says his power is made perfect in my weakness. You know what a load that takes off when you're the one who's charged with standing on a stage every week and communicating the word of God to his people, man, you can put some real pressure on yourself. You, you can really drive yourself nuts with that reality, but God's promise is his powers made perfect in my weakness. Now, I can't use that as an excuse to be lazy. I can't use that as an excuse to be ill-prepared. I can't use that as an excuse to just show up here and hope something happens, right? That, that, that's not what I'm saying. It's not a justification to just sit where I'm at. What it is is freedom to move forward towards what he has for me because I know even if I miss a step, even if I trip, he's going to cover up. Over that weakness. His power is made perfect in my weakness. What a promise. What a guarantee. What an amazing God we serve. He says, Therefore, I'll boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses. So often in the American church, we don't see that, right? We we see hiding our weaknesses or or trying to pretend that our weaknesses aren't even weaknesses, right? We justify our weaknesses. But Paul says, No, I'm boasting in my weaknesses. Why? So that Christ's power may rest on me. Man, I want Christ's power to rest on me. I want His power to to move out into our community through me, through us. I believe inside of you there's something that leaps at that idea too. That the power of God could rest on you. There's something in you, if you're a believer in Jesus, there's something in there somewhere that says, yes, I want that Yes, I want to see that. Yes, I want to live like that. Yes, I want—I need it. He says, God's power rests on him. Why? Because he doesn't deny his weakness. He doesn't pretend to be somebody he isn't. He doesn't try to act like he's got it all figured out and all together. He says, that is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness and insult and hardship and persecutions and difficulties and all this stuff that nobody's like confessing over our life every morning. Yes, God, I'm going to have hardship today. Yes, Lord, send insult my way. Yes, God, more persecution, more, Lord, right? Nobody's saying that. talked about in our city group on thursday night which if you don't have a city group get one and if you don't know which one to go to we'd be honored to have you on thursday nights in our grave robber group We're, we're studying the seven miracles of jesus in the book of john but we talked about in in that introduction that all of us want the power of god all of us wants a miracle but the reality is miracles only show up when there's a problem that Jesus only turned water into wine because the wedding ran out of wine. Right? Jesus only raised Lazarus from the dead because Lazarus died. All of us want the power. None of us want the problem. Paul realized, I'm going to embrace the problems because with the problems comes the power. With the, with the weaknesses of life, with the struggles of life, with the things of life that don't seem to go the way I want them to. That's when God shows up the most. That's when there's room for him to breathe and move and do something. And I believe it happens even more when we gather together. We're stronger together because it's not just my problems. Now we come into here, we all got some problems, right? We all got some weaknesses. We all got some hardship. We all got some insults. We all got some persecution. And when you gather all those together God's got some room to show off, to show his goodness and his glory in our generation. But he can't do it if we're trying to cover all that up, if we're trying to hide it. So our strength comes from our oneness. Our strength comes as we grow. Our strength comes in numbers. Our strength also comes in our weakness. And together, we're going to go stronger. Amen? Did you pray with me? Father God, I thank you so much for these incredible people. God, so many people in this room have made me stronger in so many different ways. God, they've benefited my life and I'm so thankful for them, God. And and so many of them have probably made me stronger in ways I'm not even aware of because the ways that they've prayed. God, because of the things that they've done that I didn't even see or didn't even recognize. God, below the surface, there's so much going on that I don't know, but you see it all. And you know how we're connected, God, and God, And I I thank you for people who make me stronger. God, I thank you that we haven't arrived yet. That you're calling us to somewhere greater, to something greater, to to new glories. God, you say you move us from glory to glory. God, I thank you that the next glory for City Church is greater than the former glory. God, because you love us and you're calling us and you're wooing us and you're making us stronger together. So God, we speak today unity over your church. We speak strength over your church. God, we speak growth over your church. We speak change over your church. God, that we would change in ways that would glorify you. That we would change in ways that make us more into the image of your son. That we would conform more to be like Jesus this week than we were last week. That we would engage the maturation process. God, we do it together. God, I pray for anybody who's isolated today, anybody who's doing it on their own, even if it looks like they may be connected on the surface, but deep down inside, Lord, there's, there's emptiness there, there's, there's isolation there, there's lack there. God, I pray that you would use this next season of their life to, to give them the courage to open up, to embrace relationship, that you put the right people in their life, God, to engage them, that they could find their tribe, they could find their people to do life with. God, I thank you that you are creating us stronger together.